On this episode of 45 Years of LR, I'm happy to have on board one of these two voices from the 1990s. Lady G, tell them what's up. Oh, bud, coming up, we got uh, a song that's pretty, like, cool, and I, I remember you... I remember you trashing this song at first, Bill. When? I mean, that's not flavor material, you know? Eurotrash. We have Eurotrash, Eurotrash coming up. Eurotrash is coming up. <laughs> at its best, yeah. <laughs> um, I love you, Ken. I love you, Ken. I love you, Ken. But oh. I think they should make like a, like a I don't know, Hello, a Northeast Kingdom-like version of this for the video, you know? What, and what I think it, it would like include um, Barbie and Ken going to P&H or something. You oh, know, like, God. Uh, don't, don't even go there. <laughs> <laughs> we'll be back with the Barbie Girl song after this. That clip was from 1997, not August 2023, which is when this is being produced and delivered to you, wherever you may be, though you may have heard of a Barbie movie in theaters in current times. I spoke with Gina Masters, who you heard as either Gina Paquette or Gina G or Lady G this past February. Gina was part of a group of students at Linden State College between 1994 and 98 who crammed all of their radio course instruction in as soon as they could, and she explains why. She's so good at a mic still, I barely edited any of our conversation aside from throwing in a few station IDs. I held different roles there, as you know, over the years. Uh, my class was the last class to graduate with the radio performance and writing um, concentration. We had to finish our major in our junior year. So in my senior year at Linden, I spent the entire time taking electives. <laughs> like, I'm not kidding you. I spent my senior year taking kayaking, sea kayaking with Stu. Um, step aerobics, step aerobics instruction, um, puppet making. Yeah, puppet making. There was a, I remember a few of the guys from the radio program were in that too. Um, pretty scary. I spent my entire senior year in electives because I had to finish our major. We had to finish our major by the end of our junior year because they were letting Paul MacArthur go at the end of our junior year. So there was not going to be a radio performance and writing instructor anymore. So I completed my bachelor's in my concentration in three years, added on the elective so I could graduate, of course, and you know maybe a couple other like required courses for senior year. And I spent my senior year actually doing an associate's degree in business and marketing because I needed something to fill the credit schedule because you can only take so much sea kayaking and puppet making and aerobics. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Uh, no, you, 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 what, what were the kinds of things that they taught you? Now, I went to broadcasting school before I went in to that radio station, so I knew some things. Are, but what, what were the kinds of things they were teaching it? Because I never, I showed up in January in 1998 and I heard all these glowing stories of the radio major and mourning its loss, really. And, hmm. um, 
I feel like the decline of the station may have started right there, and we're just seeing the final, <laughs> the final epitaph written about it now. Yeah, I I wouldn't be surprised if that was the case. I'll be honest; I have not been back for any of the reunions, as I had read about. Um, I think Brent McElhoney had reminisced about bringing his kids back to the radio station and touring the campus. I've actually not ever gone back to Linden in an alumni capacity for like alumni weekend ever since. And I spent many years in Vermont until I moved to South Carolina. I just didn't do it. So I did not witness what was happening in terms of a decline of the station after that, but it wouldn't surprise me because what we were doing when I entered in the fall of 1994, that was my freshman year. And of course, I graduated in the spring of 98. The only thing our class of radio majors knew was the instruction of Paul MacArthur. Paul MacArthur really was instrumental uh, to the revolution of WWLR into the Impulse 91.5, where we began to have a real presence, not just on campus as a campus radio station, but in the community. What we were learning there and how we were being challenged in those courses was really what brought LR to the next level. And I don't think without, at that age, you know, when you're like 18, 19, 20, (laughs) (laughs) you know, and you're kind of just really self-focused on doing your own thing, doing what you want to do and what sounds good to you. And if you have no more people who are invested in radio broadcasting as a profession, as something that you want to grow in and actually have a hands-on learning experience with, that's a recipe for all of that to disappear for all of that work, that consistency that we brought to the radio station um, to fall away. So I would not be surprised that that was the beginning of the end Um, because you weren't left with any other people who were actually um, invested in the future of, um, of radio and trying to learn something from it, it became more, it kind of reverted back to just a club, I'm sure. You know, the radio station was a, was a student-run club, basically, with an advisor. And I don't know who the advisor was prior to Paul MacArthur, because Paul MacArthur was the advisor the entire time, well, except for the last year, actually. I'm not sure who technically was our advisor. <laughs> Um, By then, my class was pretty much, it was our senior year, and we were running the station. So I don't remember who our advisor was. But the first three years, Paul MacArthur was the only advisor we knew. So what we did was, you know, obviously we took um, everything from intro to communications, which actually I think was probably taught by the Portners, um, if I recall. Um, But as we progressed on, we were learning how to, at the time, of course, that was where we were all like splice and dice, you know, on uh, production. Wax crayons, razor blades, and uh, splicing tape. And hopefully there's no uh, scars on your fingertips from years of... Yeah, you give a bunch of college kids uh, razor blades. (laughs) Sounds like a good idea. (laughs) So, uh, yeah. 
So we were learning radio production, you know, as uh, I mean, that was a class that there was actually I think there was two levels of it. There may have even definitely two levels. There was like an introduction to radio production um, where you learn the basics. And then there was like an um, like a next level class after that that I remember taking. And I honestly I was not good at it. I have to credit uh, Wild Bill <laughs> with a lot of help <laughs> on my uh, production products um, because I was not it was not intuitive to me at all. And to this day, sometimes technology is not so intuitive to me. So I kind of struggled in that area. But we were challenged to learn the production aspects of creating spots, you know, um, whether they be underwriting. Um, I think in my second year, there was we had to pick a, um, a topic that we were going to cover in kind of like a news fashion. So actually, I remember that year, I picked Earth Day the Earth Day celebration on the LSC campus. And we had to, I don't know if you remember, we had those, um, the recorders that we were carried over our shoulders with the mics attached to them uh, for recording audio so people could talk into <laughs> the thing. And then we had to like bring it back to the production studio to carry those recorders around with us. So um, I remember interviewing students on campus for Earth Day, talking about what it meant, getting people's take on it, what they were, how they were participating in it. And I had to make, I don't remember how long it was. It wasn't terribly long, but it had to be a certain length and creating a news story on Earth Day on the LSC campus. And that was kind of an undertaking because they wanted to see all the elements, you know, um, you know, you know, interview, you know, interview style, commentary from yourself, you know, ability to intro, ability to, um, um, what, how do you say it? Like, um, transfer, you know, go over to a voiceover, you know, a, a, with somebody to come out of that, you know, and go back into any, you know, personal commentary. There was sound aspects, you know, whether you're doing it at the intro or the end. So there is music, a uh, music aspect underlay to that. So it was production. Then there was um, also so much of it was hands on. I wish I could. I wish I had my course booklet in front of me. <laughs> I don't even know if I have a course catalog now at this point. Um, so much of it was hands-on and like I said really we have to tip our hat to Paul MacArthur in that LR would not have become what it became when you walked into it without him because the students just there was a lot of pushback when we decided that we wanted to take and that certainly didn't happen when we first came in in the in that first fall of our freshman year I don't remember quite how long it took but I want to say by easily my next my sophomore year that class had really decided like this is what we're going to do with the station we were going to go from just oh you can play whatever you want anybody can do whatever they want whenever they want so long as they run you know the liner at the top of the hour you know uh and the in the emergency broadcast <laughs> system test 
as long as you did those, like it was like, it was like free game, free will. We turned it, we were like, no, we actually want to create something that the community wants to listen to. Because when we did that, then we were able to sell underwriting. So creating a underwriting stream for the radio station by by committing to actual programming that appealed not just to the students and for the generation that we were in at that time it was you know the late 90s so it was all alternative alternative grunge music was very in at the time so being kind of on the cusp of getting those uh, you know those artists we were getting you know cds into the station all the time um, from artists now that, you know, I just opened my iTunes the other day and picked up a 90s essentials singer songwriter uh, playlist. And so many of the songs on there are now considered like really like iconic songwriter, you know, original songs from people like Sean Colvin and Paul Cole and, um, Jewel, some of them like Jewel went mainstream, you know, but others were really more part of the alternative scene, but were Duncan Cheek, um, Crash Test Dummies, like there's so many, The Verve, um, so many of those artists um, that we had access to because we had the music and it was like, okay, well, if this is where our culture is trending right now, Let's, we were going to create a format. And that was, we had a lot of pushback on that. Um, the students from years ahead of us wanted to stay, we get to do whatever we want. But with the radio major and a committed professor like Paul MacArthur, we came in, we're like, no, this is what we're doing. We're from six, what was it, Bob? From 6 a.m. It was 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. Or six, at least 6 p.m. Yeah. yeah, and then I think it was like, different on the weekends but six to six fully formatted and then from six to three a.m or like whatever yeah that station was on the air until three o'clock in the morning and yeah i was told that at one point it was on it was even on 24 hours a day uh, <laughs> and yeah. that that stopped because uh, there were certain people who normally would be monitoring the campus in positions of authority who uh, were not at that hour, and uh, uh, beverages were being wheeled into the studio during those hours, and that just got risky. Oh, okay. Yeah, that was not while I was there. Uh, I don't think so, at least. <laughs> um but yeah, a fully formatted station from six to six and then specialty shows in three hour blocks, you know, from there on to three o'clock in the morning or whatnot. Um, and that's where we had the freedom upperclassmen. You had to be an upperclassman to get those slots. And all of it was still done by um, drawing, by numbered draw, you know. Um, so I remember the very first probably because it was just, it seemed like such chaos. <laughs> the very first uh, time that it was like, okay, we're here to draw numbers and we're going to fill this format calendar, like, you know, up on the board. And 
people, if you wanted to be on from 12 to 3 p.m., like you had to play what was formatted to play. Um, and then, like I said, there was a lot of buying on the upperclassmen for the specialty shows. Um, so that's where we got things like, obviously, um, Wild Bill's iconic, you know, Flava FM. Burning up 3,000 watts every Saturday night. Wild Bill. Flava FM. Uh, what was that? Saturday nights, I think? Yep. Saturday nights. There's an air check of his unsculpt on SoundCloud, and I listen to it, and it's one of these things where I don't normally listen to that kind of music, but I started listening to the thing, and I was hooked. Now, 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 more of the music, less of the BS. 92 Flava FM. Hour yeah. went by. I'm listening to this recording from you know, 25 years ago at least, and I'm hooked because it's just one song woven right into the other, and it's perfect. Yeah, it's it's flawless, really, and I'm so excited for Bill that he took something that was a real passion and what started as a hobby because he he was at LSC as a meteorology major. You know, that was supposedly his long lifelong dream since he was a child to be a meteorologist. And so he was there on the five year meteorology program. Um but he's taken something that really was a passion and he was so, so good at and has just taken it all the way. And his, you know, just, he was good then. I can't imagine how good he must be now. <laughs> I actually did end up in Boston one time on a fluke in a club that he was DJing at. A friend said, oh, we want to go out. And they picked a place to go. And I showed up and there he was in the DJ booth. Wild Bill. In Boston. I hadn't seen him in years. Um, and so it, it was really crazy. It was really wild. So I'm, I'm super excited for him and what he has done with it because he did work a different job at the beginning of his graduation time outside of LSC, but really just took that passion that he had for spinning records and uh, just turned it into just, you know, what it is, what he's got going now. Um but yeah, we had the specialty shows and I just remember kind of like the chaos and the anticipation of just like, you know, people vying for slots. Um, and then, but once we had come up with a programming strategy and I, if I recall the programmer at the time that I was, we were doing that, um, Josh Pinsano, uh, I don't know if you remember his name at I heard, all. I heard of him, but I have not spoken with him because he was just older. Yeah, he was and these before, people, yeah. these people went away. He I, was older than me. Yeah. So Josh Pinsonal was, uh, was one of our main program directors that I remember as an underclassman. And I know Jared DeRocher was, um, when he was general manager, I think he was pretty instrumental in, um, you know, with, with also being part of picking music. Um, but like I said, I mean, the whole radio major class along with Paul MacArthur was the driving force between creating that, um, that sound. Um, and again, hats off to Josh for being, you know, the programming director and really being the one to take in all of those CDs. He, I think he, you know, he was the one who was listening to CD after CD after CD. And I, and 
you know, along with, I think, Paul's counsel and, and a couple of other upperclassmen, really came up with a format for LR. And then, then, we be, then became the development of the logo, you know, and then that turned into bumper stickers, which I actually still have like a handful of bumper stickers from Impulse 91.5, which then turned into T-shirts. I have one of the, I, my T-shirt, my staff T-shirt, still yes. there, still fits. Um, Ooh, and you. but you know the years have taken their toll on the shirt, so I don't wear it much. Yeah, mine is I think packed away somewhere, more like a souvenir, um, along with my stickers. So it turned into T-shirts, but like I said, then it turned into this. Um, a brand it turned into a brand that could then be brought out into the community and i credit um craig cordero from my class craig cordero was a and i want to say also if i recall correctly matt ricklick was uh part of this too uh, a major force in going out into the community and selling underwriting now, at first, the only underwriting, real serious, regular underwriter we had was the music shop in, in the small in St. Johnsbury. <laughs> um, but then, because the station had such, was creating such mass appeal to community listeners, to the high school community, to, you know, um, just the Northeast Kingdom community outside of just our little campus. We were actually doing something that had consistency. People knew what to expect when they turned on our station. And it was still really very much from six to six music that you could play in a public place. <laughs> you know, yes. without, without fear that there was going to be like any inappropriate, not family friendly, not consumer, customer friendly, whatever's, you know. So we had Craig and Matt really were big on going out there and getting underwriting clients, customers for us, for the station. We had um, a really good roster of, um, of underwriters. So what that led to was, and again, Craig Cordero and Rob Tuzay, I think were the main drivers behind going live at the Linden Institute St. Johnsbury rival game football actual sports broadcasts live so and because that was the big game yes that is the big game it still is game. the big game that is the big game of the Northeast Kingdom um I remember the year that they that they talked to, you know, they went to the uh, probably the athletic departments of both St. J and LI and were like they or in the school and wanted to to set up a live broadcast where they were going to call the game. And I mean, that's that's a big that's a big deal. For a college station to take on, you have to have somebody not just who is passionate about um, broadcasting and doing something like that, but you have to have two people who are passionate and knowledgeable about sports, 
<laughs> you know, that again, underwriters are going to want to support that endeavor and not feel like, oh gosh, this, this is a waste of my money to be underwriting this event, you know, supporting this event. And, you know, um, that the college campus can be, and the college community of LSC can be proud of being a part of. So they were huge in that. And they call, I really, they called the big game, but I think there was a few others too that they may have called. And so that also, that requires like planning and thoughtfulness and, you know, um, like, you know, boots on the ground. And again, a real passion to want to put the effort into that because that's your Saturday afternoon or your whole day on Saturday, basically, you know, between setup and game and tear down and whatever, like you really have to want to put um, a quality product out there um, that stays in line with the brand. So all of those things were driven by a deep desire from the last graduating class of the radio major to take this club that, you know, that people had come to love and have a lot of fun with it, fun with it, but take it to the next level where it wasn't just something we had fun with, but it was something that we could be proud of as a college community that we could be proud of um, and you know, to be affiliated with in our community. And we were actually, radio majors were learning actual real skills that they were going to need, whether it was sales, underwriting, broadcasting, live broadcasting in a sports arena, um, creation, even creation of design of logo is thoughtfulness about what's the message you're trying to communicate. The liners, and what kind of style they had there. Um, the, the music, the actual, the, res the level of responsibility attached to what we had created was really kind of quite, when I think, as I reflect back on it, was pretty high for people, you know, who are 20, 21 years old. It really required a level of maturity and a level of, um, you know, commitment that, I think is is hard to find when <laughs> you're that age. Uh, so given that the last year, I mean, what Paul had done was in the previous three years really set us up well to function in the last year without him, um, you know, really kind of more or less on our own. And I, I don't even remember who our faculty advisor was. <laughs> Just don't even remember. <laughs> because I don't remember them contributing anything to our senior year because by then the the senior class more or less with uh, assistance from new juniors who had moved up and what it, were really taking and people like you who came in in that last portion of 98 had really taken over the radio station so I mean there was a lot of like for sure, a lot of silliness, you know, that went on, you know, a lot of fun uh, times, but there was also a lot of like discipline required behind what was done there. Like, I don't think there's really another way to say it. I think it's a mixture of passion and discipline and commitment um, 
and pride, just a healthy pride in like what you've created. Um, and I think that's really the saddest part about that. Not only did it kind of like, it sounds like it went, wah, wah, you know, after we all left that there was no, but you know what? There wasn't the education to maintain it. The school didn't have the desire to continue the, that major, that concentration. Um, and so what do you expect to end up with? You, you revert back to what people are inclined to do, which is I'm going to do my own thing. You know, because this is a college station, it's supposed to be fun. And yeah, we, we had fun. We had a lot of fun, but it's, it's not something that if you're going to approach it as like a hobby that you can um, expect is going to continue with a level of quality. We were really approaching it like this is our training ground. This is like a business for us. Yeah, I remember rolling into campus in September 1997 and my parents... Emerson grads, mm. um, I tuned into that radio station and said, oh, my God, <laughs> this is what the college radio station sounds like. I'm coming here. <laughs> this is what the radio station sounds like, and you can get on the air right away, provided that, <laughs> provided that you pull the right number and, and you are numbered. Yeah, and I had a friend who went to Emerson who was a year ahead of me and came and visited our station and came on with me and I went to Emerson and, and went on with him. Um, you know, he did much more uh, kind of on the outskirts of, not on air, but within the industry afterwards um, than, than I did. But yeah, I mean, that was a pretty expensive education at Emerson, you know, and, and a very prestigious one, you know, um, if you weren't going to continue with it, but that, but those three years or four, four years, I guess, technically at, at WWLR were really like, it really was a, it was like your own, it was a training ground. It was an internship almost for preparing you for what the kinds of things that you would go out there and actually do. And not to mention like the management and the communication ability to communicate amongst each other as a, as a staff, as a team. You know, I actually think that's one of the best things you one can get from a college education really is really the ability to learn good communication and good relational skills with other people. You know, I, I, um, I think given what I've done, if I could go back to my old self, I might be like self, I probably, you know, would, would take a different path maybe, but college, I do think that one of the values there is, is community and communication and relationships. And definitely through what we were doing at the radio station, there wasn't any way around how to deal with people. <laughs> and relationships and sometimes it was done well and sometimes it wasn't done so well and you lived and you learned you know how to deal with 
your staff people amongst each other or how to deal with um, a fellow on-air personality. Like if you're upperclassmen in leadership and you had to deal with somebody like who is simply an on-air personality and lower classmen, you know, you really were managing people. You were responsible for what happened on that station. Uh, and that's a massive life skill that all of us can use no matter what profession you end up going in is the ability to communicate and relate and deal with people. Gina Masters was on WWLR as Lady G from 1994 to 1998. She was also general manager in 1998. I spoke with her in February 2023. This episode three of 45 years of LR was produced and edited, but just slightly, for presentation August 15, 2023. We have more episodes planned with voices from the 80s and 90s, which you will hear arrive where you got this podcast every month, though I did take July off. I will keep making these and keep talking to you as you keep reaching out. I want every story about this great radio station told that can be told. You can leave a voicemail or send a text to area code 802-467-0212. That's 802-467-0212, and we'll go from there. This program originated in St. Johnsbury, Vermont. I'm Bob Welch. Thanks for listening. Boasting 3,000 watts of pure impulse power. WWLR. Lindenville. The Impulse. 91.5.